0: Alrighty. well, if you want to follow along the message this morning, you can grab one of these, use some notes, and I put a lot of scripture in there, and then there's a little bit of white space where you can write things down that you may want to remember going forward. And so we also are attempting to record these messages if you're interested in listening to, again, that would be amazing, I don't know if we want to do that, but maybe you do. I um, mean, so... Okay, share it with somebody else. Amen to that. We do record it because people might want to. Maybe something spoke to you, and you want to share that. But it's on our, our uh, website, and so you can find the the link there. Supposedly it's on iTunes. Not been able to get that to pop up on my iTunes, but supposedly. All right. Well, we're in the series called Encounters with Jesus, and so we are continuing on. We were in John chapter six last time, and we're going to speed ahead if that's okay. We're going to be going to John chapter nine. And we're going to look at this entire chapter. And so we have some ground to cover, but it's all good. We will, we will do our best to cover this, and I know the Lord will speak to us as we do it. So as, as we start, if you would do this, everybody close your eyes. This is not holy yoga, which they have at the Methodist church I saw driving in next to Target. So um, this is not holy yoga. This is just my opening. Illustrations. Just bear with me. I always hated participatory illustrations. I'm, if I was sitting there, I'd never like to do it. But close your eyes, okay? Now, what do you, what do you see? Thank you, Dane. Well, if you're participating, you shouldn't be seeing anything. So, uh, Probably darkness. All right, imagine with me. Imagine with me you are unable to open your eyes for the next 24 hours. How would that reshape your activities today? I hope you wouldn't drive home. <laughs> I, hope you would, I hope it would reshape your activities. How would it reshape what you choose to do, what you're unable to do? Imagine with me now that you, imagine with me that you cannot open your eyes for the next month. Might you lose your job? Or maybe they can't fire you because of disability. I don't know what the rules are there. But this would be a, a very difficult way of living, we could all agree. You can open your eyes now. Think about that. How, if, if you could not see how this blindness would impact your lifestyle, your freedoms, um, your dreams and hopes, uh, this would be a challenging life to live. And this morning we're going to look at the story of Jesus healing a blind man. Jesus is going to heal a blind man. And it's a story about blindness Uh, That goes beyond this one man's experience In fact, this is a story that really happened But it's also in a way a parable Of what it means to be truly blind And so in this story we're going to look at As a guiding question And you can see this on your sheet Who in this story is truly blind? Who in this story is truly blind? And what are the sources of this blindness? Obviously the blind man is going to be the first and foremost blind person And so we'll look at him But there's other characters that pop up in this story that in a way are part of this parable of blindness Because the worst type of blindness and, and being physically blind I'm sure I've never been that but I'm sure how terrible that would be How, how, how life altering that would be But the worst type of blindness is not physical blindness The worst type of blindness is spiritual blindness the worst type of blindness is a blindness of the mind and heart where we cannot see what truth really is. And this is going to be revealed in this story. So if you would turn to John chapter 9, we're going to read together uh, through here. And I may stop a couple times because let me just be honest, there's so much in here and pastors like to, you know, deal with everything. At least me, I do. I don't want other people what they do. But I like to look at all this stuff. And so I'm going to make a few comments, but I'm going to try to mostly read through. And then, as you see on your notes here, we have four, four, four points to, to guide us through. So let's read chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sent this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. When I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now this would be the best way to heal a blind person if you had sight you might be like hold up <laughs> that's some spit that's some mud uh, what, what happened Jesus to like just speaking the word and I'm healed like what happened to just saying it or just I'm okay with you touching my eyes touching whatever needs to be healed why you gotta do that Jesus yeah, I'm, you know, seriously Jesus spits on the ground makes mud puts it on his eye Jesus in a way and I, I want to get to this in the sermon the four points but he breaks the mold all the time of what we think he's going to do. We think we get him in a box, and he's like, ah, this time I'm going to spit on the ground and wipe in your eye because you can't see what I'm doing. All right, so anyway, let's keep going. Go, verse 7. He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. So here's another, I Just think about this. He went and told a blind man to go find a pool to go wash in. Here, I put mud on your eyes. Now go find this pool. Have fun. I don't know. You never really dig into these miracles sometimes. Why don't you just, you're healed. Amen. You know? He goes and tells the dude to go find the pool of Siloam while he's blind and go wash. I mean, that's a little bit more than, come on, Jesus. Why can't you make it easy on the guy? Well, Maybe Jesus doesn't always make it easy on us. Maybe sometimes we got to find a pool and go wash, and you know, we're, it's a process. I don't know. But that's interesting if you think about it. He tells the blind guy he has to go find something. So, um, who knows? Maybe he knew where it was, and he had someone helping him. Maybe he had a dog or something, a seeing eye—I don't know—service animals. Don't know. All right. So the man went and washed and came up seeing. And, seen. and it, I'll be a little more serious, but this is actually a, a picture of baptism. Okay, so in this parable, the washing is a cleansing. Because at the bottom of all these healings, Jesus always addresses sin. The issue in our lives is not just, I have this problem. This is my struggle. I do this. Somebody did this to me. So-and-so left me. They, they, the real issue is our own sin. And God has come to cleanse us. Now, this is a picture of cleansing. This washing that takes place in this man's life. He's cleansed. He has been given a brand new start. And so this is what the washing is a symbol of, like baptism. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No. He only looks like him. This is doppelganger. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Sounds like something my son would say. I'm the man. Verse 10, how then were your eyes open? They demanded. All right, we got to get some information here. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud. I don't know how he made it. (laughs) He put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Verse 13, they brought him to the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was what? Always. It's always always the Sabbath. I mean, there's like six other days, right? He always. Oh, it's the Sabbath. I should heal somebody today. I think that's what I need to do. Just because it ticks up all these religious guys off. Let's just go ahead and do that Let's see what will happen. So it was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So how does his work? he goes into things. Put blood on my eyes, and I wash, and I see, and condensing it down now, not to talk. Alright. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, he's not keeping the Sabbath. But others asked, Well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He's a prophet. Jews still did not believe him. he had been blind and received his sight to listen to the man's parents. Verse 19. Is this your son, they ask? Is this the one they say was born blind? Is this really? Come on, give us some information. How's it now that he can see? Verse 20. We know he's our son, the parents answer, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't really know. Ask him. He's of age, he'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were, what, afraid of the Jews. I mean, already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, we put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he's a age." ask him. They had other verbations. The second time, all right, let's bring back back back. Right, let's talk to him again. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I don't know everything. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I see it. That's what I know. Then they ask me, what did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? He's gone in circles. Right, we go back to where we started. There's the spin, there's the mud, there's the washing, the finding this pool in the middle of nowhere. He answered then, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? I love this guy. He gets snarky. Do you want to become his disciple too? <laughs> oh, I love this guy. This guy's one of my heroes, actually. I love this man. Then they hurled insults at him. Started cussing him out. And Jesus cussing him out. Or uh, Old Testament. Moses cussing him out. However they did it back then. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, he's getting to leave him dialing it up. All right, you want to go? Let's go. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. That's in the Old Testament, that's in the Bible. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. We have enough talking with you. You're actually starting to get on our nerves because uh, you're getting a little sassy. You know, we're getting rid of you. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Um, it's me. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Yeah. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world. Wait, I thought Jesus don't judge anybody. The Bible says he don't judge. No, oh, sorry. Verse 39, for judgment I've come into the world So that the blind will see And those who see Will become blind mm-hmm. That will cha- challenge your perspective there That's in the Bible, I didn't make that up Actually on top of your sheet I put it there too Because that's kind of a guiding scripture Of this whole passage For judgment I've come into the world So that the blind will see And those who see will become blind Some Pharisees who are with him So they, they keep creeping around I don't know where these Pharisees come from They are with him somehow And they heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But, now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. May God add his blessing to his word as we we look at this this morning. So, who in this story is truly blind? And what are the sources of blindness? Number one, like I said, this is like the example. If you're ever doing work at school and they give you the example, it's always the easiest one. Like, I didn't need the example to be the easiest one. I wanted an example like a hard one. Uh, the example is the blind man. He was, he was blind. So uh, you can write that in your notes. The blind man was blind. All right? So that was pretty basic there. You could have got that one without me. Uh, the blind man was blind. And the Bible says he was blind from birth. And so his issue, we'll call it this, his issue is ignorance is ignorance. If you Google ignorance, and you look at all the little image quotes on the image, you ever see image quotes on the internet? You Google stuff, and it's like, oh, somebody said this. Okay, you might gather that ignorance is the worst thing ever. Because some people have quoted saying that. (laughs) So it must be true. But actually, ignorance is not the worst thing ever. We're gonna look at that. Ignorance is just a reality of the human experience. Babies are born in ignorance. They have instinctive knowledge to cry, to want to eat, to poop. Excuse my language, if that's bad. Um, babies have certain things that they know how to do in, in their instincts and in their DNA. God has written that into them, but they're they don't come out speaking French. They don't come out making a sandwich for you. Babies don't have much knowledge, just as babies, if born in, all of us were a baby, we were all born in ignorance, and that's that's just the realities of life. And we navigate the world with the ignorance that we're born with, and we learn things along the way. And so, I don't know if you ever saw boss babies. Those babies are not born in ignorance. Of course, you didn't see that. Only I did because I have kids. But they're born with trying to take down the pet industry. you know. But most babies truly are not born with that sort of insight. So we're all born in ignorance. We're all born and blind by birth. And this is a picture of humanity. We're, we're born in sin. The Bible says that all of sin fall short of the glory of God. We're born with, with not a relationship with God. And we need Jesus to come and bring us back into relationship with him. Ignorance is simply this. I don't know. And this is what this man says quite a bit. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's okay not to know. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience, or lack of information. We'll look at some scriptures real quick, looking back at it. John 9, 12, they, they ask him, where is this man, the neighbors? He says, I don't know. John 9, 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, so I know something. I've learned something along the way here. I have an experience. I was blind, but now I see. I don't know everything, but I know this. John 9, 35, 36, Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out and when they found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And what does he say? Who is he? I don't know who. But just tell me so I can believe. You see, this man, is, he's got humble ignorance. He realizes, I don't know anything. I, I was blind by birth. I, I'm seeing stuff for the first time here. But I have a humble ignorance. I want to learn. I want to grow. And I'm willing to learn. Doesn't mean he's a pushover. He's getting a little, you know, getting a little sassy with the Pharisees and stuff. But he realizes, hey, I don't have all the information. But I am willing to learn. He's actually in the best position of anybody in the story. He starts out in the worst position. He ends in the best position because of him realizing that his ignorance is what it is. I don't know. But can you tell me so I can learn? Can you tell me so I can grow? Ignorance is not the biggest problem in the world. Rather, it's just part of, of life. And so have you ever considered your own ignorance? This is something we don't do. Yes, I don't know a lot of stuff. Usually people don't like to embrace the fact of their lack of knowledge or lack of experience. In fact, I know for me, I grew up in a family where, you know, you got, if you didn't know something, you got kind of made fun of a little bit, busted on, you know? So you had to kind of pretend, you know, like you knew stuff or at least kind of fake it until you make it, you know? I grew up in a family where we didn't actually have cable. I don't know if this is a little bit lighter, but so we, we grew up with the antenna rabbit ear things. Remember those? All right, we try to like move them around and find the channels. And my friends at school would be like, Hey, man, did you watch that show? Did you see, you know, such and such on, you know, some cable, something or on Disney Channel or a TV or whoever it was, what period of life? And I'm like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny or cool. Because or, I didn't want to be the one in ignorance. I didn't want to be the one that didn't know. I didn't want to be just say No, I didn't see it. And, and so that's silly. That's That's, you know, but if we. Apply that to our entire lives. If we're not willing to embrace the fact that we don't know things, we're not in a position to actually learn things. And we can go through our entire life thinking that we know. And so it's important, whether you're an old saint or a new believer, to realize that we have areas of ignorance. Nobody in this room knows everything, and we shouldn't feel like we should. But we are still a process, we're still growing. If we position ourselves in this way, we make ourselves able to receive what the Lord wants to say to us and what He wants to give us. And sometimes, here's the tough thing, sometimes it comes through unlikely sources. The Pharisees, we're going to get to them in a second, they couldn't hear from a blind man. Why? Because he was steeped in sin of birth. He was, we can't hear from you. Right? They wanted to, but they didn't want to. Okay, so sometimes God's trying to speak to us through unlikely sources. And if we think we know so much, we won't be able to receive We've got to be humble enough and have a humble ignorance and a, and a self-awareness so that God can speak to us. Number two. Number two. Who in the story is blind will we'll lump these people together because it's similar. The disciples and the neighbors. The disciples and the neighbors. Their issues arise from what I would call reductionist thinking. Reductionist thinking. You could also call this this is not humble ignorance, this is ignorance plus information. Ignorance plus information. I, I bought a chainsaw from uh, Harbor Freight for like 40 bucks, which is a great place to buy cheap chainsaws, but they don't work very long, but whatever. So I bought a chainsaw, and I have a lot of trees in my backyard. And um, I remember watching my dad cut a few trees down back in the day. It was pretty cool, because they fall, and you know, never know where they're gonna go, and they're kind of you know, exciting. Thrilling. Uh, And so I have plans to cut some trees down, um, and and I kind of looked it up on the internet. There was like a little card that came with the chainsaw showing you, like, cut this way and do this. But you ever heard the phrase, a little bit of information of, you know, you know just enough to be dangerous, right? And, And right now I know just enough about cutting trees down to be very dangerous to my house, my fence, my neighbor's houses, and everything around, right? This is where the disciples were. This is where the neighbors were. They knew just enough to be dangerous. They had just enough knowledge, just enough information to then take it to the next level where they weren't and be a little bit dangerous. See, we, we need to learn. We need to grow. And, and some of you guys have been serving the Lord for a while. You know some work, the scriptures, but we've got to be careful. We don't know, we don't extend our knowledge out beyond what it really is. Now look look at the disciples. Um I'm gonna read this. Uh, John nine two and three. The disciples ask, and they see this man blind. Rabbi, who sinned? Okay. This man or his parents? So you ever ask a question or somebody in class, trying to look smart, like, oh, was it this? Was it A or B? You know, was the Shang dynasty or the Qin dynasty? You know, it's like, no, it was the Native Americans. You're not even in the right <laughs> thing. I mean, what do you? So people sometimes try to be smart, try to like, oh, I know. Was it this one or this one? Well, no. Jesus is not either one of those. I mean, thanks, for, thank you for trying to be smart, but the truth of the matter is that little information that you got from the Old Testament is good, but the, this is something else going on. God's up to something else over here. So don't get caught up in what you thought you already knew. Now, where this, where they're coming from? Who sinned, this man or his parents? Exodus 20. That God would, uh, in some context, transfer sin to a next generation. It's called generational curses, generational sin. This is a concept of, in the Old Testament. They're aware of this that that it'll three or four generations, but God's blessings are a thousand generations. So they're looking at this Exodus 20. Was this oh, is this one of these contexts where these parents sinned and then it's being transferred down, or Ezekiel? Okay, so here comes Ezekiel later on. This is real fast. You can write this down. In Ezekiel, there's a there's a passage that people are talking about um, how they believe everything happened because of their parents because they were looking at Exodus. Okay, so. And then they have this, this saying, our fathers have eaten sour grapes, and our teeth are set on edge, just as in Ezekiel. Look it up. So, pff, our dads were the reason everything happened bad to us because of our parents. Generational sin, we didn't do anything. And then the prophet Ezekiel comes along and says, No, you're being punished because of your own sin. So, here's the disciples. We've got Exodus, we've got Ezekiel. Which one of these is really at play here? And God's saying, None of that. One sin. God has a plan and a purpose for this guy's life, which included a lot of suffering, which included a lot of pain, which included blindness. Good. What? I thought God was always nice and kind and good and everything's great. Well, not here. You're blowing your categories. It's blowing your mind. It wasn't sin? Now, all the sin falls short of the glory, of God. Everybody's sin, but that's not why this guy's blind. This guy was blind because God had a purpose. And for this moment, he was going to have his name in the Bible. He was going to have his story in the Bible to illustrate something greater. Wow. So God can do things. He breaks our categories. And reductionist thinking, what I, what I shared with you, this is from the disciples. And I put this on your thing, where, where they just look for easy answers. And, and in that, you've got half-truths. i got some information, and I'm just going to kind of go with that. And sometimes even our theological paradigms, how we we see stuff it's so constricted we put God in a box okay this is this is how God has to do it right here okay because I have this one scripture and this scripture and so this is what God always does and Jesus is always breaking these theological paradigms, this box that people want to put him in That no God is bigger than all of that it doesn't mean there's not such a thing as true theology it doesn't mean there's not such a thing as truth or that you can not find truth in the Bible and all those sort of things but we got to be careful that we don't try to constrict God into our theology and say this is all that he can do. All right? God is bigger than that. All right? And so this is what the disciples were doing. They looked for easy answers, and there weren't easy answers. But God was up to something good in this man's life. Look at the neighbors for a second. The neighbors in in John 9, 8, and 9, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit in bed? Some claimed that it was. Others said, "No, it looks like him, he himself insisted, I'm the man. So his neighbors looked at him and said, hmm, that's weird. The blind man isn't blind. So how could this work? We don't understand because of our past experiences. So I'm limited by my past experiences. My, it reduces down what the possibilities of what could happen now. Our experiences with this guy was that he was blind, but now he's not. So how could this be? So now I can't understand. I can't embrace this. I don't even know if this is really the same guy. Our past experiences can be very limiting if we let them. Good experiences and bad experiences. Either way, in the bad experiences, we can think, man, this is what, what my life's always going to look like. This is what happened to me. This is how it's going to be. We let that shape and, and reflect into the future. And that's not the case. God is a God of impossible. He can change anything. And so these people looked at how their past experience was with this man. And it, it just didn't fit how it was today. And so they couldn't reconcile the two. They they labeled him as a blind man. But now that he's not a blind man, then what is he? They had assumptions and stereotypes and all these things that they put on him. And now that he wasn't that, it just kind of blew their whole category. This reductionist thinking didn't work anymore. We got to be careful about the experiences of yesterday. Maybe you grew up in a church. That was a certain way. Maybe something happened to you negatively in church. And you're like, man, that's, I don't know about God, I don't know about this, I don't know about pastors, I don't know, and, and that can shape us. We've got to be careful about our experiences. Or, like I mentioned before, I was in a church that was, was, a good, great church, you know, awesome, praise the Lord. I was serving on staff, but the positive experiences of yesterday shaped the future. Because all we ever asked was, what would we do a year ago? How did we do that a year ago? Okay, let's do that now. So we stopped having creativity. We stopped seeking the Lord for what he wanted us to do today because, well, it was good last year. Well, it was good sometime back then. It was fine. Let's just do that. So even the good things that God does, we can just hold on to that, and that's all we were just happy about yesterday. Let's do that. And we stop seeking the Lord for what He wants in this season, this time. So this reductionist thinking kept the disciples in the dark. The little bit of information they had about the Old Testament, the little bit of information, their experiences kept them in the dark. And so we've got to be careful about that. And let's think, how might our Thinking Keep us in the dark today How might the experiences of the past Keep us blinded to what God wants to do Alright, number three The third one is this Who in this story is truly blind? The parents The parents are blind What are they blinded by? Blinded by fear So what Mike shared this morning? Blinded by fear Now they have a great cover story Oh, he's old enough. Talk to him. He experienced it. I don't know. Get us involved. But the truth is, it's uncovered that they were afraid. They're afraid. They don't want to lose their standing. They're afraid of losing the status quo. They're afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue and and, and being disassociated with the relationships and giving up friendships. And all the stuff this might cost us if we start speaking out in a favorable way. We don't want to get tangled up in that. We just want to keep everything the same. Keep everything how I like it. You know, like two creams, one sugar, whatever it is. That's not everything I like, I like. don't mess with me, my formula, I have this figured out and all this. I was, you know, in a way they'd come to be fine with their son being blind. Like, okay, we can live with that. Whatever. You know, he's, he's blind. We've come to a, come to a point of, of, um, acceptance. And, and now that this is all changing. Ugh, this is messing our world up. I don't know if I can just keep everything the same. This is what fear does. I want to keep everything the status quo what if I step out in faith and trust the Lord and what if something doesn't happen? What if I extend myself and then I'm getting rejected? What if I go out and do this and it doesn't work? What will happen? I know how to do this. I don't know about that. So let me just stay in what I know. And they let fear keep them from meeting Jesus. Think about that. They, didn't, they don't meet Jesus. Their son does. They said, no, we'd rather just be in the Synagogue. Just kind of keep that. That's how we like it so they they miss out on this opportunity to have a relationship with the Savior of the world. Fear can keep us sometimes from evaluating our beliefs. You know, I look at, you know, in America, especially in the South, it's considered this Bible Belt Christian culture, and even in this town, Lexington, a lot of people I I encounter go to church, but it's a very surface level for many, not everyone, but for, for many, it's a very surface level relationship. As a youth pastor, uh, I've spent many years dealing with the kids of people who go to church, and for many of them, hey, I don't want to take my parents off, so sure, Jesus, whatever. It's this very surface level. Yeah, I believe, sure, whatever. But fear can keep us from wanting to evaluate and to dig deeper in our beliefs because we're like, man, what if I really seek God and, and He doesn't answer? What if I pray and nothing happens? What if I'll just keep it this? I'll just go to church, I'll clap, 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 Amen you know, whatever, and I'll go on. But but fear can keep us from saying, what do I really believe about this? Is this, did I really experience the Lord? Have I really had the, the Spirit fill me in my life? It can keep us into a cultural Christianity where we don't want to lay down our, our idols, our, our status quo, our comfort, and really find a deep, deep relationship with the Lord. And finally this, let's look at, look at the last one. This is this. Who was blind, and the, the most blind in this story? you probably know this, is the Pharisees. These, these folks are blinded by pride. It's their their pride that, that blinds them. And you could call this, and I, I didn't, can I go backwards for a moment, just in case you want to write this down? Um, the fear, you call this ignorance plus preservation. People want to preserve life as it is. This would be ignorance plus arrogance. Ignorance plus arrogance. This is the pride that can fill us and keep us latched in. The Pharisees spent the most time with this man, investigating, digging in, but they spent the least amount of time really trying to know the real story. All of their time was trying to discredit somehow, some way, that this couldn't have happened. This, there's no way this could be true. Their entire time is filled with arrogance that we already know everything. So there's no way that this could ever happen. This could have not happened because we know know so much. And that arrogance of of their knowledge of what they had really kept them. The disciples, they they thought they knew a little bit. They weren't really arrogant about it. The neighbors, you know, they weren't really arrogant. They just hey, we thought we know a little bit. But these folks man we know. Look, Look what they say. Verse 16, this man is not from God. This is declaration. He is not. We know he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Well, maybe their definition of keeping the Sabbath is wrong. Right? So, so maybe sometimes we think we know so much, but our definitions are messed up. You know, sometimes people look at the, well, what does it mean to love? And they thought, but God's about love, man. God loves everybody. He does. But maybe our definition of love needs a little adjustment. When we look at a situation, we feel like God's not loving. Maybe we don't understand what love really is. Maybe we need to learn something. Well, I thought, you know, the Bible says, you know, God, you know, you know not to judge. So, I mean, why is we, what's judging all about? Well, maybe the Bible does say that, but it also says some other stuff, too. So, let's, let's, let's put that together. Verse 24, second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Look how much they declare that they know. We know he's a sinner. Verse 27. The man tells him, you did not listen. I told you, I was, you're not listening. That's so what pride does, it keeps us from listening. It keeps our mouths running. Nah, nah, I don't think they should do this, I don't think, you know, my opinion. No, that's, we live in a world full of opinions. We leave your opinion on the internet, anywhere and everywhere. There's a news article, I think, you know. You get onto social media, well, I don't think there, you know, let me reply back to this. Everybody wants to, nobody wants to listen. We're becoming a world full of pride. Full of our own opinions. Full of what we believe we know. Less willing to listen. Less willing to learn. Verse 34, they said, You were steeped in sin at birth. Actually, that's wrong. Wrong. Jesus said, no, he wasn't. He wasn't steeped in sin. This is for the glory of God. God has a plan for his life. God loves his man. And then finally this. This is the verse on the top. 39 and 41, Jesus said, For judgment I have come to the world so that the blind will see. And those who see will become blind. Some, some Pharisees who were with him heard and said, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Wow. And be careful that we don't take on the spirit of the Pharisees. We claim this, we claim that, we put ourselves up higher than we really need to be. I think the real story in this story is a story of humility versus pride. Humility leads to light, vision. Pride leads to darkness and blindness. Those with humility can receive from the Lord. Those with pride shut themselves off. The Bible talks about how God is the potter where the clay. I think of, I don't really do clay a lot, but I've done Plato. And I know with Plato. If you take the lid off, you ever put, you know, kids that leave the lid off and then you come back to the Play-Doh, it's like trusty and nasty and hard. And pride does that to us. It's like Play-Doh with the lid off. Here, God's gonna come and work with this. Heart's hard. We think we know everything. We got it all figured out. Or put that lid on, that Play-Doh's we'll ply. pliable, well, God can do whatever. The Bible talks about a heart and heart. Characters in the Old Testament, think Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardens time and time again, rather than learning, rather than receiving what God's trying to do, hardens his heart, hardens his heart. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 5, says that he hardened his heart in pride and God cast him out into the field like a beast. That's what you want to do? Okay, you're nobody. We got to be careful. Pride will, will push us away from God. Hebrews 3, 7 and 8 says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Proverbs 28, 14 in the message translation says, A tender-hearted person lives a blessed life. But a hard-hearted person lives a hard life. God wants us to have a tender heart before Him so that we can receive what He wants to do. Psalm 10, 4, In His pride the wicked man does not seek Him. In all of His thoughts there's no room for God. Proverbs sixteen five The Lord detests all the proud of heart, but be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And finally, James 4 6 and 1 Peter 5 5 reiterates this phrase that God opposes the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. So, Kyle, as you're coming, and uh, as we conclude this service, the guiding question in the story is is who in the story is blind? And truly, all of the people in the story have a level of ignorance. We all do. Everyone in this room, myself included. There's so much we don't know. None of us are omniscient. None of us know everything. None of us are like God who knows everything. And so we don't have to walk through life pretending like we did. Sometimes it would be great to feel like we knew everything. Especially in positive situations. Someone comes to us, hey, you know, tell me what the Bible says about this. Why did God do that? Why?" And sometimes we want to, man, I wish I had the answer. I wish I knew. But the best thing sometimes is to be humble enough to say, I don't really know. I don't know. But like this man, what you can say, Mike, what you can say is, what I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I know what God's done for me. I don't know all the, the deep theology. I don't know the answers of all the pressing issues of life. I don't know all that. But I do know what God has done in my life. I do know what He, I, my experiences with Him. We can, we can walk confidently with that. That God has transformed my life. That He means everything to me. I know that. I don't know the answer to everything in life. I don't know what, you know, Russia and the media and this and all this crazy stuff. I don't know. Man. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know the politics and I don't proclaim to be a genius and all that, but what I do know is that Jesus has made a difference in my life. That he's what I'm, what I'm seeking after. If you, could, if you could lead out with that, I believe we will make such a, a difference in the world. That's how we become salt and light. That's how we Impact the community. That's how we impact the people that are surrounding us each and every day. Not by being a know it all about everything in the world, but by being humble enough to listen to others and learn from them, but being confident enough to know what who Jesus is to you. And this is this is my God. This is what He's done for me. I know that. So where are you today? Are there issues that are blinding? Maybe past experiences, negative experiences that you've had. So, you know, I I don't know, this is really clouding how I see everything. Maybe old paradigms, old ways of viewing things, half-truths, stereotypes. Maybe there's fear. You know, this is really your issues like the parents. "Ah, I don't want to give up. What if I give up? What if I really take a step of faith? What will happen? I know this, I don't know that out there, so I'm gonna stick with what I know. Don't let fear blind you and keep you from what God wants to do in your life. Now I pray that all of us would address the pride that does creep up in each one of us. There's not a person here that is truly humble in all their ways. Come on. We all have pride in different ways in our lives. It creeps up in each one of us. And the Bible says it's it's actually the chief of all sins. It's actually the most most divisive and destructive sin in our life is pride. We we think that we can do it on our own, that we don't need the Lord, that we have something great that we can do, and God is not part of that. We have to stay humble. We have to stay aware of our need, and that's how God will use it. So let's, if you would stand with me today, we're going to sing a song you probably know. It's simply, open the eyes of my heart talking about blind men. We don't want to be blind. We want God to speak to us and show us what He wants to do. We want to have the vision for the life He's calling us to. So let's let's sing this as a prayer as we conclude the service today. Open the eyes of my heart. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open